You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Jamie Chapman is a proud military spouse and served in the U.S. Army for six years. She is a philanthropic and fierce advocate of the military community. She is actively advocating to influence policy to reduce the 24% military spouse unemployment rate. She serves as the career and employment advocate for the MSAN Military Spouse Advocacy Network, where she offers career expertise to over 10,000 active duty military spouses. She is a mentor on Variety, where she provides guidance to veterans and military spouses. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to hear your military story. Thank you so much, Amanda, and thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. I'm going to start with why did you decide to join the military? (laughs) Okay, so this one's maybe fun. My decision to join the Army was totally impulsive, to say the least. Um, So my dad lived around the Lawtonport Sill, Oklahoma area. And in that city, you're constantly inundated with soldiers in uniform uh, anywhere you go. And I think that's part of the reason is just because I saw a lot of it. And um, anyway, so I was impulsive in my decision. I literally, I walked into the mall at Lawtonport Sill and I walked into the recruiting office and I said, hey, guys, I want to join the Army Reserves. And then later, uh, when I told my parents, they wanted to kill me. I was so bright. I had all a bunch of scholarships to college, vocal academic leadership. I even got a little D2 uh, softball scholarship that I had to decline because I was already way too busy with my other stuff. I was on track to be the first uh, college grad in my family. Then I decided to join the Army. What the heck was I thinking? So yeah, later I ended up justifying that impulsiveness for all the reasons, you know, it was honorable to serve my country. I can, it'll help make me better in my profession. It'll help me pick out my profession. It'll help pay for school, you know, all the reasons. So my, my decision to join the army was impulsive. And then I ended up justifying why I joined later. That's interesting. And what year was it when you joined? 2009. Okay. Yep. And you just were like, Hey. I'm going to join the army. Yeah, I just seriously, I walked in there with my shopping bags. I was all sassafras walking in there. Um, And (laughs) these reserves recruiters had to be like, what is this girl taking? (laughs) But there's a process to joining. It's not like you sign up and then you are gone the next day. So how much time was there in between? It was pretty quick. I would say that I went into, I can't remember now, good Lord. I went in there, I signed all the stuff. I, they got, they told me I had to start working out cause I do not exercise. Um, then, you know, they said, you've got to be able to pass your run and all that crazy stuff. So it was probably a month or two turnaround between the time I actually walked in the office between the time I went through the MEPS process and then eventually shipped off to basic training. So I believe my technical date was in October, 2009, and I was in basic training by January. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, can you give me a little bit of an overview of your time in the reserves? Yes. So, um, well, I jokingly say this, but it might actually be true. I was the Army's worst petroleum supply specialist. Uh, imagine me. I'm this feminine. I am not, not mechanical at all. At the time, being 18 or 19 years old, I was super naive. I was probably the most naive person in the Army at the time. And they had me out in the motor pool working on millions of dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> it's not my strong suit in life. So a kind of an overview, I served in the Army Reserves for six years. I moved around several times to a couple of different units in Oklahoma, and I finished out my service in New England. I went to Fort Devens, Massachusetts. There's a little reserve post there. And yeah, I, I did my six years and I couldn't get out fast enough. It was just really not the right thing for me. Can you talk a little bit about what the reserves is like and how it's different from maybe someone joining active duty or the National Guard? Yeah, so the reserves is compared to what I see my husband going through, for example. The reserves is a totally different animal. It's kind of laid back. Uh, if, if you're listening and you have no military context whatsoever, the reserves is similar to the National Guard in that you go and you do one drill weekend a month. And that's a Saturday and a Sunday, sometimes a little bit longer. And then you typically do training for two weeks every summer. And then obviously they can call you up to go on deployment at any time if they need you, but you're not going to work in uniform every single day like an active duty service member. So I was a reserves petroleum supply specialist, 92 Fox was my MOS. And it was just a different thing. I, I There wasn't a lot of... Um, the time commitment was minimal. I was going to college full-time and working full-time in a regular day job the whole time I was in the reserves. And so uh, I had a lot going on in my quote, quote, civilian life. But I would say comparatively, the reserves is like way more laid back. It's just a totally different beast. And with the reserves, is it easy to go, like, because the National Guard, one thing is different. It's the state kind of like support system, and then they can be deployed also, but it's a little bit different, but is it easy for reserves to just move around the country and, or how does that work? Right. So you can pick where you want to live. When I relocated, let's just use from Oklahoma to New England, for example, all I did was I just called some local recruiting stations and I got the like basic contact information for some units. And I was calling around saying, Hey, look, uh, here's who I am. Here's my MOS. Here's my rank. Do you have any slots available? I would like to relocate to your area. And so it's just, it's not like active duty. They don't tell you where to go and you go there necessarily. I had a choice as to the area where I was living. And then as long as it was within a reasonable commuting distance, uh, I could live wherever I wanted. Yeah, so it's a little bit different. And that's kind of the laid back part of it. It's more like you're in control in the military isn't as much control of your life. Yep. And then the difference in the National Guard is like a National Guardsman might get called up and go on a deployment in their state to relieve some kind of a disaster or something like that. But the reserves is owned by the same people that owns the big army. And, you know, I'm not going to get called up to go to a local deployment. I would get called up to go to the same deployments as the active duty folks were going to. Uh, maybe I would have been the most wholly unprepared deployed service member anywhere, <laughs> but I would, you know, I would be going to where those other folks would be going. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. Did you face any struggles while serving in the military? 
I did, absolutely. Uh, anybody probably that joins the military has some sort of struggle in some way or another. <clears throat> but just to provide a little bit of context about me and my military path, when I first joined, when I was baby O'Bannon was my maiden name, um, Private Fuzzy O'Bannon, I absolutely loved the military. I loved basic training. I loved AIT. I had all these wild ambitions. Um, the reserve unit in Oklahoma that I was in at the time had a, the, the commander was a chief. He was a CW3. And I was determined because I was halfway done with college at this point. I was determined to hurry up and get my degree so that I would outrank our current commander and I was going to take over. I was going to be the commander. That was my ambition. I was, you know, trying to get in there. I was trying to get promoted. I was trying to hurry up and hustle with my school. I was up there signing up for the deployment list. And at the time there wasn't a lot of deployments going on, all that business. Um, now the tough situation happened really early on. I was hot off the presses. I had I literally just returned from AIT probably a couple of months in, you know, I was, I mean, I was brand new baby private O'Bannon go into my unit and it's, I'm learning still. AIT is like tech school. It's where you go to learn how to do your job. Yes. Sorry. Advanced individual training. So there at my unit and the reserves is different. So sometimes folks would like if you commuted a certain amount of miles away for that night, you stayed overnight in a hotel. And there was a pretty serious sexual assault incident at the hotel for that drill. Uh, I'm not going to go into any details, but just to shed a little bit of light on what happened. A lot of the soldiers in the hotel were, I was too young, but the hotel had a bar. Now, obviously, when you throw alcohol in there and then you put boys and girls together at a hotel, things happen sometimes. But a lot of the soldiers were drinking and there was a hotel manifest floating around. So that means that somebody in a leadership position had the names of where everybody was staying. And that was for accountability purposes. But when you give a drunk person a, a list of people's hotel rooms, that's probably never a good idea. So anyway, the result was basically that this leadership person had tried to go up to six different women's doors and had sexually harassed and or assaulted them, including me. And like I said, no details, but it ended up resulting in that guy going to jail. And so it was a pretty freaking big deal. And you know what? The next day, the unit was on lockdown. I mean, they were collecting written statements for everyone, the whole shebang. It was a really big, really serious ordeal. Now, just for some more context, this was back before Me Too was a cool thing to do. The other women, I think in the long run, it simmered down over time. They were a little bit hesitant to speak out. And then after months of this incident, got swept under the rug. Nothing happened. There were zero consequences for what happened. I had been checking in and checking in and checking in and nothing was happening. Then lo and behold, that certain leader was suddenly back in their leadership position like nothing ever happened. And I was so mad. There was just no explaining how mad that I was. So that next month after they returned from their sabbatical and they took their regular leadership position, we went to the freaking range. And this person, this sexual predator who had abused six women is walking around with a loaded gun and all six of those women were there. I was pissed. I was so mad. That never should have happened. So anyway... 
the whole point of this is that there was a complete and totally utter failure of leadership, like none I'd ever seen before. I really hope I never see that again. I was so mad that I took my sassy little self and I marched right up to the active duty post nearby Fort Sill in a ball of fury. And I went in and I saw a victim advocate express my concerns. And then this is a good time to talk about the difference in active duty and the reserves. Um, <laughs> uh, the the month it taken months for this investigation at the unit, and then nothing happened. It all got swept under the rug. Just different. Uh, I went to the active duty post and it blew the case wide freaking open. At the next drill, the CID guys were raining down on our unit like a SWAT team. Like they were there to investigate everything that happened and make stuff happen. So anyway, long story short, when their investigation, the swift and fast and furious investigation was finished, I ended up having to travel to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was supposed to testify against this guy. And remember now, me too wasn't cool yet. So of all six women involved in this thing, I was the only one that went to testify. I was the only one that was speaking out against this person. And so, you know, the kicker is that the guy that did it didn't even show up to defend himself. And I guess they took that as some kind of a, like a leave of absence because his, I, he got nailed after that. I mean, he was done. He was toast. So you know, that incident happened when I was uh, hot off the presses. I was a baby private. I was, you know, brand new in the army. And so despite all of my ambitions to swoop in and become the commander of my unit, I, I just didn't take that particular event well. How could you have? Um, I didn't have any trust for my leadership. I ended up moving to a different unit because of it all, because it was just, it was bad on me. I was the one that was this, I was snitched, right? I was the one that did it all. And everybody was trying to protect this other guy. And so anyway, I just uh, hated wearing a uniform after that. And I dreaded the next five years of commitment I had left to the Army. And it was just a rough start. So the rest of my military career suffered for it. I could have thrived. I could have done well. I, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. And that'll always, it'll always be a sore spot for me because I'm the type of person, you know, I don't do anything halfway. Go big or go home. So I was the Army's worst petroleum supply specialist after that, and I didn't even try anymore. But I guess for some sort of consolation, I ended up getting a call from some random general officer's assistant thanking me for my bravery in reporting it and going and pushing forward. So I don't know who it was. I'll always wonder who that person, the general officer was, because I can't remember now. I don't know. But that chapter of my life is closed now. And so I guess that call was a little bit of a consolation, a little bit of closure. But anyway, that particular incident was certainly the most difficult military experience that I ever had. Yeah, it kind of changed everything you had planned to do with the Army just through that one incident and how it was dealt with afterwards. Uh-huh, 100%. So that was, uh, it was tough. I mean, as a woman... And when you can't trust the environment that you're in anymore, I just think it kind of ruins it for you after that. So, and it's, you made a commitment. I couldn't unsign my contract and just quit. I couldn't quit. You know, I had to stick to my commitment and fulfill my duties, but I sure as heck didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, that makes it really hard. So you did the rest of your five years pretty much just status quo, doing your job, but not trying to do anything above or below, just right in the middle, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I was a 
I was a good soldier, I'll say. I showed up on time. I always had the right uniform on. I listened to instructions. They did sort of, the people when I ended up in, you know, uh, at Fort Devens in Massachusetts, they wised up and realized that I was a pretty good asset to have around. I ended up helping a whole bunch of my fellow soldiers get jobs. Um, and I was using the uh, Montgomery GI Bill, so I was pretty well read up on using educational benefits. And I ended up doing a lot of admin stuff which I had never done before in the military. And they got me out of the motor pool, uh, which is maybe good, good usage of me. But really, um, yeah, the, after that, I wasn't trying to be a bad soldier or anything. I was still trying to be good, but I just, I lost my ambition. I didn't have the fire in my belly anymore. And it's, you know, to do well and to, to succeed at something, especially when it's kind of tough, you really have to have a purpose. You have to have a sense of belonging and I just didn't have that anymore. I just felt like a, the ugly duckling or something. I was so out of place. Uh, and I just, it was hard to explain that to people. I had leadership trying to press me and, and say like, look, you've got such a potential future in the military. And I just, I didn't want it. I was like, give it to someone else. There's somebody else that wants it. I'm not competing. You know, I'm done. So when you were done with your six years, you decided to transition out of the military so what was that like? Um, <laughs> well, I, we'll call it transitioning. Um, I, was, I was relieved, honestly. Like when that final drill was up that you know, I joined in October 2009, I think I was eligible to go into the IRR in October of 2015 or something like that. I was so elated. I was so relieved. Now, when we think of military transition in the kind of normal usage of it. We think of active duty soldiers that get up every day, they wear the uniform, they go to work. I already had a full-time job. I wasn't going through that identity crisis that a lot of them were, but separating from the army for me, it was like a closing a chapter of life, but it sparked a whole chain reaction through the rest of my life. I ended up ending a serious relationship that I was in at the time. I had left New England because I loved it there, but I also hated the cold. And I was sort of sticking around because I had found a little bit of comfort at, at the unit that I was in, in the place in my life that I was in. But I hated New England. I never intended to stay there. So this was a good opportunity to close one chapter and open another and go somewhere else. And then the fun thing is that I had reconnected with an old flame a little bit later down the road who ended up becoming my future husband. So the military has been a huge through line in all of my life. And me transitioning out of the reserves was such a huge relief. Uh, it was very timely in my life. It's a huge blessing for me. And it, frankly, it led me where I am right now. So I can't, I don't regret my military experience, but it certainly brought me to a different place than I ever thought I would be in. You already had your job lined up. And so it was kind of like you were getting, you finished your commitment and you were ready to be done. So it was a smoother transition for someone who like has to find a new job and has to deal with all the different changes that go with transitioning. So for a reservist, it's, it's just different. It makes sense that it'd be different because it's. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. After the military, I ended up after I married my husband in the Fort Carson area, I worked for the soldier for life transition assistance program, SFL tap. All military members are supposed to go through TAP when they're coming off of active duty and becoming a civilian. So 
my experience having coached over 1500 people in that program and helping them go to the dark side and become a civilian after being on active duty for all this time, my personal experience was very, very different than that. I mean, I already had a job. I didn't have to worry about my resume. In fact, I wrote people's resumes for a living and I taught them how to do job interviews for a living when I was in the army. Uh, it was nothing. Like I can move and get a job with no problems and it's not a stressor for me. It's what I do for a living. So it was not overwhelming. It was just a good opportunity to, to kind of tie up loose ends and move on and do something different with my life. That makes sense. So what has it been like to be a military spouse? Oh, holy smokes. <laughs> so you've heard about my military experience. It doesn't sound like it was that difficult, right? Uh, so holy smokes, being a military spouse is so flipping hard. Nobody tells you this. Um, my first year as a military spouse, uh, I got pregnant my husband deployed. I had my baby by myself. I didn't know about anything, like none of the benefits. I, it, nobody had told me about the ACS, the, Arm, the Army Community Services. I didn't know there was all this stuff out there that I could use for help. And as a reservist, I know a thing or two about serving in the military, but we don't have all those benefits there with us in isolated areas that don't have a military installation nearby. So I didn't know about all these benefits that we had. And it was a it was a rough year. Now I was working full time and I was just it was crazy. So yeah, becoming a military spouse was by far out of everything I've ever done, maybe except for opening a business, being a military spouse is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it just opened my eyes to this world that we live in. It's right under our noses. We have all these incredible and hardworking and talented military spouses. And then, you know. They're 24% unemployed, according to the government. And it, it's just an unacceptable number. So I don't know. It just opened my eyes to this world, and it's my passion now. It's, uh, I'm so passionate about trying to help military spouses find jobs. And uh, you know, we can talk more about that later. But I just didn't even know. Having left the military and became a military spouse, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Yeah, I, I feel like when I left the military and I became a military spouse, I was like, whoa, wait, this does not look, this looks, or it looks easy, but it's not easy. And all the <laughs> challenges, and my husband was going to move a year after I got out, well, actually like less than a year. And so finding a job for like a year seemed silly and I just had a baby and then we moved again and now we moved here. And so I I never would have called myself unemployed because I never was looking for a job, but I kind of felt like pushed into a corner that I didn't have the opportunity to get a job because of all the different factors that go along with being a military spouse and having to start over every four or less years. Yeah, it's a unique set of circumstances. And so I work really hard to try to help with this. And um, man, so companies a lot of the time say that they have a commitment to hiring military spouses, but here's what they do. They roll up, say, a military spouse hiring program into a hot dog with the same hiring program that they're using to target veterans and to recruit veterans, which is great. Great social responsibility effort. I'm so proud of companies for thinking of that. 
But the problem is military spouses is we have these unique sets of challenges that come along with us. For example, number one, we move a lot. Every three years, four years, sometimes less, sometimes more. Uh, another thing, a lot of us have kids and a lot of us have husbands or wives or partners that are deployed. And so it's really tough to maintain traditional full-time employment when you're the single parent and head of the household and you're running all things at your house while your significant other is gone. Um, you know, and right now our duty station, we're in Germany. My husband is not deploying, but we've been here almost two years. And I think that he's been on 41 or 42 TDYs. So that's not cool, but you know, it's just a difficult life. Um, and the employment issue alone, it really, it picks up steam. Like, for example, there was a joining forces initiative back in 2011, spearheaded by Michelle Obama. Administrations changed and that movement sort of fizzled out and people forgot about it. Now, Karen Pence has gone out and done some things and said some things. And it's really nice to have somebody in high places talking about this issue. And we have tons of heads coming together from different organizations and different government agencies trying to work on the issue. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, like you just said, when you're not looking, you've given up. You're not looking to see if any, any of those things have been resolved yet. You're not looking for those answers like, hey, have are those unicorn jobs in existence, the ones where I can work from home, have flexible hours and stuff like that? Well, yes, they are, but you have to be looking at, for the job to find the job. And you've got to leverage your resources and get prepared too. So anyway, there's a whole host of issues that come along with military spouse employment. And you know, I work very hard on those issues. And the nonprofit organization that I work for, um, MSAN, the Military Spouse Advocacy Network, um, we have over 10,000 participants in our group. And I'm working very hard to, to bridge the gap so that those men and women can find employment. I never thought I would be doing this. It just isn't, it's not what, you know, 10 years ago when you ask, hey, little private Jamie O'Bannon, what do you want to do when you grow up? This is not what I would have been th thinking of, but I can't get, you know, I'm so passionate about it and it's just something I never knew about, you know. Um, I, I tell all the time people, you know, we've got to train our kids so that when they grow up, they can take jobs that don't exist yet. And that's kind of what I ended up doing was taking some kind of a job where I would never have known it existed back then. Yeah, that's kind of how I ended up podcasting. I started a little blog because I just needed an outlet and then I learned and I, yeah. And I really liked what you said if you've like given up because it's really easy to give up to even look for a job as a military spouse because one of the things I think that's really hard for me is not only do I have to find a job but I also have to figure out like how I can go to the interview with not having any family or like knowing anyone and for us we can't afford full-time child care while I'm looking for a job because and most military spouses can't either and so when you don't have that support network built in to help you so that you can go to an interview it makes it just really that's another challenge there's so many challenges but those are just some of the things that I think of yeah they are it's a it's a complicated so here's the the there's pros and cons we'll call them to military spouses if you want to hire one we move a lot so you have to be flexible and allow for us to take our jobs with us or if you're a large company you have to be willing able to transfer the spouse 
there's other issues like childcare. Um, I live in, I live at home. Of course I live at home. I work, I work from home, but because of my husband's work schedule, I have to drop my child off at daycare every day and drive over there and drop him off and come back home. It's ridiculous. It's partially because I'm in Germany and the sort of limited options where I'm at uh, for childcare, but it sucks to have to commute to work at home. But yeah, there's just a lot of issues. And the number one issue, if companies are interested in hiring military spouses, the number one thing you should be focusing on, believe it or not, it's not recruiting them, it is retaining them. Because you can get a good military spouse to come on board for your company. You're going to get a couple of great years and hardworking, loyal employee will result of it. It is good for business to hire a military spouse. But if you can't keep them on board when they have to move again, all that effort was for just a couple of years. And instead, you could have a great employee for a decade if you want. You just have to be willing to work with them and hang on to them if they have to move. So that's retention is the number one focus a company should have, not recruitment. Now, recruitment's important. You got to find the military spouses, but retention should be your number one focus. That's really good advice. I don't think I have any more questions about military spouse stuff. Do you think that I missed anything important? Not particularly. I think that if you are a military spouse and you are unemployed and you don't want to be, go find help. Now I'm going to drop a quick plug. Just It's free for military spouses. So MSA and the organization that I'm the career advocate for, we have a free mentorship program. Sign up for it. Find a com- You can build your own support system. You can do it online, especially if you're not comfortable getting out into the community just yet because you know, you're a hot mess and you have boxes all over your house and you couldn't find your underwear that day. Find somebody online. It's so much easier just to pick up the phone and do a quick phone call and get the knowledge that you need. There's no reason to suffer. You just have to reach out and find a mentor, find somebody to help you. You can get a mentor on at MSAN. You can get a mentor through Veterati and you can just hop online, get on LinkedIn and send out a cry for help and we will come helping you. Like there's no military spouse out here. There's none of us that want to see other military spouses suffer. So all you have to do is ask for help. That is it. And we'll come helping you. That's so true. I, a lot of the reason that I have a podcast focused on women veterans is because military spouses encouraged me and they taught me so much stuff over the years. They are amazing. And I'm so thankful that I got plugged in in a military spouse group on Facebook. It was actually the Mill Spouse Creative. And that was where I met other military spouses who are business owners and they like taught me how to do things and showed me things I didn't know I was supposed to be doing and um, they're most of them are the sponsors on my book that I just released and so when I meet female veterans who are military spouses I'm like you need to get involved in your military spouse community because they're a wealth of knowledge and they're there to support you I agree yeah hundred percent and I'm telling you nobody in this military community we are tight-knit group nobody wants to see you suffer we want it, we want this community to thrive, but you we don't know you're suffering if you don't tell us. If somebody comes to me and says, Jamie, I'm struggling, I don't know what to do, come for the love of God, help me, I'm not gonna let them suffer. I'm gonna help them. And so would every other military spouse out there, I think. I mean, there's probably a couple, but for the most part, we all want to see everybody else thrive. And you know, this is a great community to be a part of, and it's such a blessing to be 
in the world of military spouses and just in the military community in general, I can't believe how incredible that people are. It's such a good group of, it's such a good bunch. Yeah, that's great. I'll put links to all the programs that you mentioned and a few extras that I have, um, just so that you can, anyone listening can get to them quickly by just going to the show notes and not having to go and Google the different organizations. But I'm going to end the interview with one last question. And it's, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? (laughs) Uh, Don't do what I did. (laughs) Uh, This coming from the gal who walked into the Lawton Fort Sill, Oklahoma mall and enlisted. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, no, but on a more serious note, coming from a career person, right? Uh, Just as with any career, the military is not going to be for everyone. So, Now, I loved it when I first enlisted and I went through a bad situation uh, and that's ultimately what kept me from thriving. Some people enlist in the military and they never thrive because it wasn't right for them in the first place. Um, So research the military, research this life, talk to people who are a part of it and research the jobs. Uh, I enlisted as a petroleum supply specialist, which couldn't be the most wrong job ever on the whole entire big planet for me. I'm sharp as a tack. I could have done any of the jobs, but I just took the first one. I could have commissioned. I could have been an officer. I have a master's degree. I, at the time I was in college, I had vocal scholarships to college. I could have joined the choir. You know what I mean? There's jobs where you can be a radio DJ in the military. There are so many jobs I could have done, but I didn't do my research. I didn't know. I just took whatever they told me. So anyway, I, uh, still joke with my husband to this day is say sometimes I miss my calling. I'm going to go join the army choir now. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so um, yeah, research the jobs. Don't uh, also, if you're going to commit, commit, don't drag it out. Instead of testing the waters and then you like, you're not sure if it's right for you. So you join the reserves like I did. That's a longer contract. That's a six year commitment. And so if you want to join, commit, do one or two years active duty is my recommendation. Totally immerse yourself in it. Get good at what you do. Then you'll know at the end of that shorter contract if it is the right fit, if you want to do it long term. And get a deployment under your belt before you have a family. I think that's super important, especially for women, because it's tough to leave babies. Um, that's really good advice. My yeah. deployment, well, my deployment was kind of like the turning point where I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this with children. Like, yeah, it's it's rough. A lot of women leave after a deployment when they leave their kids behind. It's it's a tough gig. So do your research. Uh, if you are a smart cat and your ASVAB is low, take your ASVAB again, study your butt off, get your score higher. It opens up more job options for you. And then more importantly, talk to service members, see what their jobs are like, and then really search seriously and talk to service members before you make a decision. Because if you talk to the recruiters, they make it sound great. They make it sound like it's the best thing ever. And you just don't get a true representation of what it's like to join the military. So, but my, I guess my last words of wisdom is truly the military is not for everyone. So if you're considering joining, take the decision heavily, weigh your options, um, look at other things as well. Look at other industries that aren't the military And you'll know if you do your research well, you'll know if it's the right fit for you or not. So the military is not for everyone. That's really good advice. And the podcast, one of the reasons I created it is to help 
young women or even young men who are interested and want to hear stories of what it's like to be in the military. So go listen to more episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed hearing your experiences both in the reserves and as a military spouse. And thank you for what you're doing to advocate for us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Amanda. And it was a pleasure coming on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.